Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 369. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 369 you're listening to. My guests, plural today, are Heidi Trefethen and Ben Bernstein, both former WCA guests. And I'll include links in the show notes to their past episodes that you can check out. But we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to have a discussion about the year ahead for 2022 and our thoughts about different topics and what we are looking forward to. So very much looking forward to having both Heidi and Ben back. And I think you'll enjoy the discussion. Heidi Trefethen and Ben Bernstein for the year ahead, 2022, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about mixing it up. This is an audio show. What am I talking about mixing it up? What, what exactly do I mean by that? That could mean a million things. Here's what I mean by that. I'm talking about changing the way you do certain things, even though you may have done them the same way for years. And this, of course, could pertain to a lot of different things. Uh, let's talk about it from a technical standpoint. Let's talk about it from you know, your patch bay or your setup in general. I know that when I had my studio in San Francisco many years ago, I probably changed the patch base setup, I would say at least five or six times over the course of 2007 to 2012. And the reason I did that is because I kept coming up with more efficient ways of doing things, things that would adapt better to incoming engineers and things that would adapt better to session flow, workflow, etc. Now, as they say, hard things are hard. Changing your patch bay around is no easy task. It requires a lot of uncabling, and in case of patch bays that have soldering, it's an even deeper hole to go down because, you know, solder, right? Whereas plug-and-play patch bays, it you know, it's still hard because you have a lot of cabling to deal with. The patch bay, let that be not just an example, but also a metaphor for other things in your life, in your audio business. It's hard to make change, but when you identify different ways of doing things or think for an instant that it might be better if we try it this way, the greatest enemy to that change is you saying, well, we've always done it like that and it's worked. Well, that may be the case. And if you listen to this show for any period of time, you know, that phrase drives me absolutely batshit crazy. That's the way we've always done it. Well, you can change it if you want. It's up to you. You don't have to change it just because I'm suggesting it, but you can change it. And just because you've always done things a certain way doesn't mean those things can't change, right? So what can come from that change? And I'm not talking just patch bays anymore. I'm talking about everything. Change can bring a lot of positivity. It can help you weed out the stuff that is superfluous, the things that just don't matter, the things that you don't really ever use. And that could be patch points, for example, back to the patch bay. That could be patch points to a room that never gets used, right? Maybe those lines could be used for something else. In the case of gear that you hold on to that you never use, 
that gear can be sold in exchange for something else. You know my rant on that. If you listen to this show for any period of time, you know I advocate for those that have gear that aren't using it to sell it and turn it into something else that you will use or pocket the money, put it in the bank. But change can also come internally from ourselves, right? How we deal with clients, how we deal with our families or diet choices that we make. Maybe you drink a lot of beer and maybe you might think about stopping drinking a lot of beer, you know? I've always drank a six pack every night. Well, maybe it's time you stop drinking a six pack every night. Well, I always go to bed at 2 a.m. Well, maybe you might wanna think about going to bed a little earlier and see what happens. Worst case, you can always go back to the way you did things, right? It's okay to experiment and try. And once again, back to the technical, anything in your workflow, in your studio or with your gear in general, for those that don't have a studio, you know, maybe you've always done things a certain way. Maybe, you know, the stay level compressor has always sat in that rack. Well, what if we moved it to this rack where it gets used more? Maybe it comes down to mixing setups or drum miking. You know, you've always done it this way. Well, why don't you change it up? I think you get the point. I, I don't have to hammer it home anymore. Try change on for a change and see what it feels like. Maybe you've had an inkling of an idea that, yeah, maybe I should change up the way I do this, that, or the other thing. Well, use this next year as an opportunity to experiment and try it out. See what comes of it. Note the bad things, note the good things. And if the good outweighs the bad, stick with it. And you know, yes, it's hard. Yes, it takes effort, but once again, hard things are hard. And yes, it's a pain in the ass to move gear, reconfigure patch base, change your drinking habits, change your sleeping habits, change your attitude. All of this is a challenge, but if your goal in life is just to leave things the way they are, well, you've already accomplished that. So how about set a new goal and try to change how things are instead? And just to be clear, this doesn't have to pertain to everything. Go slow, go easy, find the one thing that you really want to change and see if you can find another thing after you've done that. And another thing, I love improving systems. I love improving the way I do things from the most mundane to the most complex. And I want to encourage you to try on that way of thinking and see what you can improve in your life from your workflow to your relationships, to your sleep, whatever it is. Give it a shot. See how it works out. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. 
They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Heidi Trefethen and Ben Bernstein here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Heidi, Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Great to see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Ben, I just saw you yesterday because you dropped off some drum stuff at my house. Yes. Excellent. Good to see you again. I vacuumed since you were here. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You cleaned up. Do you spray that stuff, you know, to disinfect? <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure that's all snake oil stuff. They're like, we're <laughs> disinfecting right. the venue. Right. My parents are horrifically addicted to having air fresheners and st spray stuff that you s spray in the air. And I'm like, your house doesn't smell. Why are you spraying that? I don't know how people do that. Because I don't it's just toxic to me. I know. Ugh, so I, get, I get into my uh, parents' car and I'm like, oh, you got to take this thing out of here. This is disgusting. Anyways, I digress. Great to see you both. Audience, I'll put links in the show notes to the episodes, in Ben's case, an episode, in Heidi's case, that they have appeared on in the past. But those are all dedicated to them. But today, we're going to kind of uh, shoot the breeze here about the year ahead, in this particular case, 2022. We're going to talk about everybody's concerns, everybody's hopes and thoughts about what will take place here in the next year for all of us in the world of audio and what's exciting, what's new. So I'll get it started with the one thing that's on my mind quite a bit, and I want to get both of your takes on this. Let's talk about Dolby Atmos. As the audience knows, I'm in the process of turning this room, as small as it is, into an Atmos room. And I'm just waiting on my, uh, my Grace monitor controller and my surround speakers, because I already have my LCR and got some cool. other stuff going on. Heidi, let's start with you. What are your thoughts about Atmos? Good, bad, otherwise? Well, first of all, I think it's very good. It's really, really cool technology. And I think if 
it's understood and it's hard to imagine the potential and actually what it is unless you've either sat in a chair in an Atmos studio and listened to something. And especially if you haven't um, actually mixed in Atmos, it is just, I mean, the potential is really incredible. And it will be much more accessible, especially with, uh, in fact, I just got um, AirPods Pro. Uh Santa brought them to me. Oh. And yeah. And so you can listen to what Apple's calling spatial audio. So it's possible to listen to Atmos mixes in your headphones, which is really cool. And I've noticed, now I'm an Android phone user, Mm -hmm. but I have noticed that the possibility exists to get Atmos mixes over Amazon Music HD, mm-hmm. Apple Music. Mm-hmm. I haven't checked any others, but those two are the the two services I probably use the most when it right. comes to Me that. Right, me too. Ben, what what about you? Have uh, what are your thoughts? I I mean, I love it. I was the kid who was hooking up multiple speaker sets in their house when I was a kid. So having multiple source points, even if it was stereo, is always intriguing. But dude, I just saw Spider Man in the Dolby Theater at Emeryville and it just sounded amazing. I mean, they probably got over a hundred speakers in that room. (laughs) And I just got a Sonos Beam, which if you get the surrounds, which as soon as I can sneak them into my living room without my wife knowing, then (laughs) it will, I think through phase trickery, it simulates Dolby Atmos. And then also I just signed on to be a tester at Dolby. So I'm imagining I'll be getting to sit in a room and listen to some experimental configurations. So Hmm. I think it's awesome. As as Heidi mentioned, you know, AirPods are now providing spatial audio. And I mean, these smart devices are walking around, they're enabled for this stuff. The chips are there. It's just a matter of the content. And I think the headphone hardware to be able to deliver it. So, I mean, it's going to become a consumer thing probably in the next three to five years. And it's going to blow people's minds, I imagine. Well, it's interesting. My early experiences with it were with Pro Tools and the Dolby Renderer over binaural that's one of the things that got me hooked. But I've also recently experimented with the new version of Logic, and it has it all built in. It's a matter of making a couple changes in your preferences, and boom, you're, you're there. there. You're mixing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, wow. the, Apple has really streamlined that process to a point where you have some choices now between Pro Tools and Logic and Atmos. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But, you know, I think my question is, is, while I've had a couple calls about people saying, hey, let's team up and do this Atmos thing together. There's been, you know, one request for a high profile client. But other than that, I haven't had anybody like actively saying, hey, can you do this? I've had a few people that I've told about it. And then they keep coming back saying, are you up and running with that yet? Because I really want to check that out. So I'm curious about, do you have any perspective on the clients and what the potential is there? I think that a lot of artists aren't aware of the technology or they're aware, they heard of it, but I don't think that they can really imagine what it is again until they're sitting in the chair listening to it or they have the headphones on. So I think that we have a lot of work to do to, I don't know, sort of be evangelists for it if we do want it to move forward. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people, actually, a lot of engineers that I know are super excited about it. And some are just really skeptical. Like they think it's not going to take off at all, or it's just going to fizzle out. And they're saying, you know, it's like surround. It's like 5.1. It just never got off the ground. 
But I think this is really different. I think it's a game changer. And I think it'll be driven a lot by the headphones that are available to reproduce spatial audio because no one's going to sit in a chair really and listen to nine speakers. It's going to be on the go, which is how we listen to music now pretty much. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the on the go thing is definitely going to be a form of consumption. But I have to say, the more I see the offerings on the consumer side with, like Ben mentioned, the Sonos Beam and all the other companies are coming out with different configurations that allow the consumer to get in without going too crazy deep, like get in like the $500 to $1,500 price points. Mm -hmm. So that gives me some hope that that'll be a possibility so that people can experience it on something other than headphones. I would agree about your assessment about headphones, but I would say that the, the cool thing about headphones is, is that everybody can experience it, but also everybody on the engineering side can mix it. If they could start in headphones and mm -hmm. if they feel compelled to do so, they can check their mixes at places that have speaker setups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's that Waves plugin that would simulate 5.1 or 7.1 for you? Like if you had the right headphones, you could put it on without having like a whole setup. It would simulate spatial audio in your, your headphones. I mean, that's been out for a few years. Mm, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, I think I downloaded it and it was like, your 2011 MacBook Pro won't do that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the virtualized concept of it or the headphone thing, I mean, you got to go with lowest common denominator before you're going to see like local rock band be like, bro, we got to mix in Atmos. So three to five years, you can go get a $50 pair of headphones and a lowball smartphone and it'll deliver this. And you're going to have to see someone like Adele or Taylor Swift or... Bieber be like, yo, I just dropped my new album. It's streaming on Spotify at quote high res, which means 320K or hopefully by then everyone's getting CD quality over 5G. People are going to hear that and be like, they're doing it. Now we all have to mix an Atmos spatial audio for earbuds. Then it's going to be like your investment in a home Atmos mixing rig or some kind of virtualized version of it is going to pay off. So, mm. But it's got to be lowest common denominator, and it's got to be huge artists making it the trend. Yeah, Michael Romanowski mixed all the Alicia Keys catalog, and I think he's working on the Eagles too. Right. If he hasn't already finished it. But yeah, that's what I meant about headphones. It's going to be headphones driven, the lowest common denominator. Right. For sure. But that would drive him nuts. <laughs> Knowing that, that that's the end game because yeah. if everyone could sit in his room, even listen to a stereo mix, their hair would fly off. It's it's amazing. <laughs> you it know? is. It is. He, I think, was nominated for a tech award last year. Yeah. And it is a really, yeah. really, really beautiful room. I mixed a song there, one track from the Pariah release that I did in December of 21, all the way up to October to release the, the Atmos version. Wait, Pariah, like the heavy metal band? Oh, Chalista. Okay, the other Pariah. <laughs> the other Pariah. <laughs> right. But she's not a Pariah. Yeah, Michael's room is, is beautiful. Yeah. I mean... It is state-of-the-art. He put a ton of money into it, and in typical Michael fashion, it looks amazing, and it's beautiful. I was on YouTube last night, and I was looking up 
Dolby Atmos speaker setups, and I was seeing Warren Hewitt had a video with some guys from Cali Audio, and they were highlighting the affordability of using their speakers to do it. And that's the trick is that a lot of people want to get into it, but they're freaked out about the cost because there's a lot of potential money to be spent and you can go crazy. And it seems that some people are doing mixed speaker setups. I saw a guy, he had some Focals, but he also had some uh, mm. little tiny Genelax. So he's mixing speaker brands. Cali Audio is showing off their ability to do a whole 714 system for about $5,200 for the speakers, including the sub. And I think that that's where the, the headphone thing for a lot of engineers is going to be the gateway. They'll start experimenting with that. They'll see the value in it. And if they can hear it in a big room, I think that's when that will convince them to maybe invest. And I think what's more important is, is that people just get involved and do it rather than not everybody is going to be able to afford to do a room like Michael has done, right? Yeah, but for like mixing music, is it more important that all the speakers match? Or is it like, hey, I got my sick LCR and my sub, but then all my satellites are cheaper, but they all match. Like, I mean, how many speakers? Do you need? I need 11 speakers and a sub, right? To do Atmos? Mm-hmm. At the middle. So what if, I, what if I just invest in like a bunch of high-end KRK stuff, but it all matches and I shoot the room and I, and I put my money on the the interface that feeds it, like you're getting the new grace. Like what's the most important link there? Is mm. it that the speakers are all high end and match or is it more like, no, y your signal chain feeding them and then they're all the brand. So they're all feeding the same thing, but they could be rockets. Who cares? If the room's tuned and you're feeding them the right balance of audio and they're hung in the right place right. and it's it's rock and roll or it's, it's hip hop and you got a good subwoofer, who cares at that right. point? I think the most important element is the room. Can it handle at least 11 speakers? Because yeah. if you have the best gear and a bad room, bad quote unquote, then it'll be as good as your room. Yeah, I would, I I'd think that is that. probably number one is the room. And then after that, it's choosing the, I think the appropriate size speakers for that room. Because you can, sure. you can get away with tiny speakers, like some little Genelax, but if you go too big, you know, my room does not sound good with speakers that are too big. So I figured out, you know, and talked to PMC speakers about what, what would be appropriate based on the videos and the measurements and everything I sent them. And they came up with what they thought would be appropriate. But anyhow, yeah, it's interesting. By the end of the year, I'd be curious to see what has happened, what has occurred, how much work has, has gone down. And I will say this, I've never been a big proponent of 5.1, but to say that 5.1 didn't work, it didn't necessarily work for music, but it sure as hell worked for everything else. Because every time I watch a show, the 5.1 mix is available there. So somebody's making money off 5.1 mixes. And how many live music DVDs have been mixed in 5.1? What's a DVD, Matt? I don't, I don't even think I could play one right now. Well, you know what I mean. But <laughs> I, I mean, know, but no, I think you're leaving out the, probably the biggest format for any of this, which is not a realm that I've worked in very much, but gaming. I mean, oh, yeah. gaming makes way more money than the music industry. And you could argue that it sells as much as blockbuster movies. So when you look at that realm and now you got some kid with a beam and a couple satellites and a subwoofer and he's playing, you know, his AAA game, like it's just crazy sound going on in that room. And that's a huge market. But for most of us, breaking into that realm for work is tricky because 
I've worked in that realm and I've tried to get full-time gigs in that realm. And unless you're like hardcore gamer and also know the implementation side, like you got to be half programmer, half engineer, but that's a huge market. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there are listeners that are listening now that are already in that world, but that raises a bigger question of like, what is your wheelhouse? My wheelhouse is certainly not games. Although I've worked on games, that's not my my strong suit. Yeah, so. but you might have listeners who are like, dude, I mix games and oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Sure. I'm going to build an Atmos rig in my house and I'm going to start mixing all my dynamic stems and stuff in Atmos. That would be a solid investment for someone who's already got their foot in because they can call up and you know, they might be subcontracting with a big publisher already. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a no-brainer for me. But just to keep it going, I've got a buddy who's in a high-end post situation in San Francisco. And I was in his room. I was like, dude, why don't you build Atmos? You know, he does a lot of advertising, right? But he's just like, I don't know if it's worth it right now. He's not getting clients. And he works with some big clients. I mean, I can't even say their name. But they're not coming and be like, hey, man, we want to, we want to mix this in Atmos. Maybe he's got 5.1, but it's not there yet. And he, he's probably billing four or 500 bucks an hour. So... It hasn't really taken over in that realm per se. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you've got guys like Dave Nelson at Outpost, but he's doing film. Yeah, that's you know what I was going to say. Dave's doing film. Yeah. But as far as the commercial realm, like Super Bowl ads and stuff like that. But in two years, I bet my buddy will have an Atmos rig because it's like the beam. The demand you know? will be there. Yeah, the Beam and then the JBL version of it or the Vizio version of it. You know, all these companies are selling their own sound bars and whatever. I mean, someone's going to get a deal with Dolby and they'll license it and put it in there. I mean, maybe Sonos and Apple have exclusives right now, but that stuff runs out. That's when it proliferates. Like you're telling me your Android isn't capable of that yet, right? Oh, but it, they will be. It will be. Or the chip might be in there, but they can't activate it because these companies do deals and like, no, for whatever amount of time, we're the only ones because we yeah. want to really sell a lot of these, these AirPod Pros and iPhones. So we're willing to pay for that. Well, let me let me give Heidi the last word here on Atmos so we can transition to some other topics. I just think that so many people don't know the potential. And I think that goes for engineers and consumers. I think it's like going from mono to stereo. Who could have imagined stereo at that point when everyone was listening and mixing and recording in mono? Yeah. So I think in the coming years, I think there'll be through a lot of education and just exposure... I think that it will grow a tremendous amount and the accessibility of it. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link get your 30% off and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. 
There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. Well, let's talk about studio sessions affected by COVID and also just accessibility of studios. You know, in our particular case here in the Bay Area, I think the three of us know generally what studios are available, and we might have a few deeper connections in one area over another. As far as the next year is concerned, Ben, I'll start with you. Do you have any concerns about your ability to do sessions based on current environments? Are people are pretty, are they open or are they not? Or what are you finding out there? Well, as far as clients, I don't have anyone being like, hey man, like we got to postpone. I'm freaked out about COVID. I mean, I haven't reached out to a studio for like a rental since Omicron swept through. I mean, I haven't gotten any feedback and people are like, yeah, we're closed. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's like 18 months ago. You know, I don't think it's like the fall of 2020 where people were like, yeah, we're opening up, but we're going to need tests and we're going to need nobody in the control room. And, you know, everyone's got to wear their mask until they're in their room. So I don't know yet, but I don't get the sense that people are like sticking their tail between their legs and canceling things. Mm. Heidi, what have you found or what do you, what have you heard? Well, similar to Ben, I haven't had any clients that are afraid to go into a studio and record and canceling by no means. I think the drive to make music is so strong that I think that we're finding any way to do it, whether it means social distancing in the studio, which is almost impossible actually, (laughs) or double masking, et cetera. But I think that we know so much more about COVID and we know so much more about how to manage it and minimize it. Paired with the drive to make music, I don't see studios closing. I just see more adapting and evolving to deal with it. Yeah, it's interesting. I got a request the other day from a client about a potential record and we were discussing the possibilities of doing it through VRBO or Airbnb, meaning finding a house in a particular isolated location where we could bring all the musicians and set up a remote recording rig. And there was no discussion of COVID-related matters at all. And even most recently, I did some sessions at uh, 25th Street, and everybody was basically stating, you know, hey, I'm vaxxed or I'm boosted or blah, 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 blah. And I think when that discussion happens, that's when everybody's comfort levels will shift in one direction or another, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, we have vaccines, we have knowledge, we have masks. And I think the fear that I'm going to go record with this guy. And then next thing I know, I've got like a tube stuck down my throat. That's just not reality barring any unforeseen mega variant that's going to come and I'll eat my words. But, you know, I I think if a studio is unavailable or it's closed, it's because it just didn't make it 
through the economics of the shutdown or the economics of the music business right now. So, well, let me let me ask you this: What about your own sessions, whether they be mixing or tracking or whatever? How does the year ahead look for each of you? It actually, for me, it looks really bright. I'm super excited about what's in the pipeline. I have a lot of things on the books all the way up to actually next December. So it's very hopeful for me and I'm super excited. Ben, what about you? Yeah, you know, January is always kind of like the sales loft and stuff like that, but I, I think it looks promising. I mean, you know, for recording and making albums, like a lot of irons in the fire and definitely some projects that have rolled into this year. And then along with all the other things that I do, I'm not too worried about 2022. And the bulk of your work that each of you are doing, I'm assuming it's Bay Area focused or is that not right? Bay Area focused for me right now, for sure. Although I'm on the way to Thailand. I'm going to Thailand on the 10th. Ah. Yeah. I'm going to be in Bangkok. I'll be um, lecturing at Mahi Don University and doing some sessions there. And some of those will be with the um, Thailand Philharmonic. So that is outside of the Bay Area. (laughs) But it's going to be super cool. So, What are you going to be lecturing on? Orchestral recording. So I'll be teaching the music tech students the theory of recording an orchestra and actually recording with them, mixing and mastering orchestral Mm. music. In addition, I'll be teaching the faculty as well because that is not part of their program at the moment. So we're implementing that program for them as well. Mm. That sounds exciting. Just touching on something that we were discussing, Heidi, before uh, we started recording here, you were telling me, oh, I've been doing some work at Skywalker. How does a a facility on that level deal with sessions in, in a COVID time period? Is there any particular thing they were doing Yes, for sure. And when I was there, I think it was the end of May of last year, and the vaccines had only been in existence for, I think, maybe two months or so. And everyone was required to be vaccinated at that point. And that was before the second one was available. Or no, it was when the second one was available. So we were masked and We tried to stay as far apart as we could. We were also required to get a PCR test to prove that we were negative within the last, I think it was 48 hours. So they really kept us safe that way. Mm. They're very, very serious. So I think they had just reopened for sessions just shortly before that, or they had done a few, but the time between those sessions was quite long, maybe a month or more. And I don't know if that was on purpose or the demand was low for sessions at that time, Mm. or people weren't feeling safe. That, I think, is one of the first ones that reopened at that point, studios, I mean. Interesting. And they took it so seriously. Well, it's a big facility that employs a lot of people. Absolutely. Whether they be employees or contractors or, you know, musicians or whatever. They also have expensive lawyers. Through Wait, does does Disney own that, or does Lucas retain that? Disney does now. Yeah, so if Disney's like, here's how you got to do it, they've vetted it and they know what the the liability is and everything. So that's actually cool because like if you've got some studio owner who's like, dude, I got to pay the rent and I'm going to let these anti-vaxxers into my studio, (laughs) you know, like no bueno. 
No. You know, interesting. I have a client who went to uh, Mississippi to record with the drive-by truckers. And he said that those guys had canceled sessions based on, they would monitor feedback of upcoming sessions like bands. And if they were reading stuff online or saying, oh, they just played in a packed bar without, you know, masks. And this was a year ago. They'd be like, sorry, you cannot record here. So Hmm. I thought that was an interesting, you know, they were doing surveillance on their upcoming clients. (laughs) That makes sense especially geographically and the culture of attitudes about vaccination and personal freedom. Totally. Yeah. So totally. it's different everywhere for sure. Changing the subject once again, let's talk about gear purchases for the next year. Is there anything that either of you are planning on buying or hoping to buy, if anything at all? What do I not have on my wish list? Let's right. put it that way. <laughs> I anticipate being continuing to be gear poor. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I think that, well, I'd love more Royer ribbon mics. I just bought an SF12 a short time ago, and I'm really loving that. So I'd like some more of those. And I would love the smallest Neve console available. Mm -hmm. And I'd really like a really nice room to work in. So that would be that would be what I'm focusing on as far as purchases coming up. In the meantime, I'm probably going to spend more money on doing my own music. So keyboards, MIDI controllers, things of that nature, more guitars. That's what I'm foreseeing for the future. Nice. Hey, I got a question. Now, given the... Uh... I mean, we still got a lot of nice rooms in the Bay Area, right? That Mm -hmm. if you plan ahead a little bit, you can rent one for a reasonable amount. Would you still rather like own a room similar to what you're sitting in? Or or would you rather have the the freedom to move around and suits the project and not the burden of owner operating something? Are you like, man, it would be sick to just own my dream studio, like win or lose? (laughs) You know, to be honest, I really don't want to focus on owning and running a studio. Yeah. I'd rather rent space. So I think to be more specific, what I'd really like is a nice mixing room and maybe a space to track a guitarist or something. Yeah. Or do vocals, like a vocal booth, a nice vocal booth. But I'm going to continue to rent, um, at least to record. So my move would be yeah, to do a really nice mixing studio. But like a good home base for all yeah. the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd rather not be under the pressure of time and an hourly fee when I mix. I just kind of want to relax into it and dive deep into it without thinking about time equals money and how much of my fee will go to rental of a place to mix. And do you tend to mix hourly or you'd be like, Hey, it's this much for the song or per song or like what's your approach? Yeah, I do per song, Mm -hmm. but I think until I have my own mixing room, I need to, to go hourly. I think that's going to be the Mm. better business decision for myself. Ben, what about your gear wish list? Man, you know, like, like Heidi said, it's like open up the Sweetwater catalog and just say yes. (laughs) Right. I mean, but I'll take this whole thing. Which whenever I order something, I'm like, do not put that in the box. It's a waste of trees. I want the candy, but why do you have to send me a catalog? It's online and it's distracting. But no, seriously, I'm very well set up here. I, I buy out a necessity. 
I'm pretty happy with what I have. And there's always stuff, you know, I'd love to get like, like a KU 5A AEA mic. I was just talking to someone about that yesterday, like more ribbon mics, like Heidi said, yeah. especially like the active, you know, unique ones. I have ones. three of them. You can borrow them anytime. I know. This is why I don't buy mics. I go to Matt's gear warehouse. I know. What? I've got three KU 5As that either of you are welcome to borrow at any point. It, a six pack of beer is cheap enough, right? Yeah. And I've got two AEA A440s if either of you want to borrow those. What? <laughs> yeah. I got all kinds of I'll stuff. I'll meet we'll, you at Matt's we'll, house, bring a baseball bat and a crowbar and some beer. We're, we're going <laughs> to have a I've session. I've got all those right here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Great. No, so if anything, like, you know, I've, I've gotten lucky over the last few years acquiring a lot of mics and stuff and other stuff. And I'm like almost like, related. This is the opposite of what you asked, but I want to start like a lending library for gear that sits around for people. Like everybody sign up, you got to pay like a hundred bucks a year. And then you can rent this, you get it for a week and it costs this much. And then you check it out and bring it back and it's insured. Cause you know, that's one thing I did during the pandemic. I had artists be like, dude, I want to keep recording. And I got this focus right thing. And I got Cubase. I'm like, come take a mic, just take it bring it back. But half my stuff sits here. I mean, I'm like, oh God, I forgot I had that mic. And like, that's kind of a waste. It's like having an awesome toy that no one plays with. Yeah. There's an idea there, whatever form it takes, but locally people could do that. I mean, we all could do that because we all live here, but people yeah. around the world could do that in their communities where it's like you pool gear in Oakland, we used to love going to the tool lending library because we didn't necessarily exactly. have to go buy a table saw or whatever it was. Or a jackhammer. To get a, a short job done that you really didn't need it long term. But do you plan on buying anything, Ben? Yeah, definitely. You know what I really want? I want a nice, not too expensive Telecaster. Hmm. Ooh, I've got nice. a Les Paul. I've got good Gibson acoustic guitars, but I feel like I do a lot of folk Americana twang stuff. And I feel like sometimes that Les Paul doesn't have the right vibe. And I don't think I need a Strat, but I think a Telecaster would be a really cool. And, you know, in the last five years, I've ended up playing more and more guitar on people's recordings. So I think that's a purchase I might make in the next year. Go, I might go over to Broken Guitars, which is, I think is an awesome guitar store over on, I think- it, Isn't that owned by uh, Billy it, Joe of Green Day? Yeah, it's curated by him or someone. I mean, and apparently whoever manages it, like they'll go to like Chicago and they'll pick up like cool guitars. They'll come back. They have a really good repair person. They get them in good order. It's, it's a great place to spend an hour picking stuff off the wall. You know, another good one, is, if you're here in the Bay Area, is a place called Mountain Music over on Piedmont Ave. That's a cool place. It yeah. used to be Acme. Then their repair guy bought it. And it's still got some oddities in there, but it's like, I'll go there for anything from drum heads to sticks. Dude, I was in there the other day and they had this 70s blue Rickenbacker. And like, literally it was like $3,500. And I've been on a wish list for that. I literally almost like maxed out my credit card. I was like, that's the base <laughs> I've been looking for. But I was like, I do not need that instrument. <laughs> but it was so cool. He was calling to you, Ben. It was. Well, I, I mean, know. you know, to make a long story short, a cousin of mine had one and he's no longer here. And I don't know what happened to the blue 70s Rickenbacker that he had. And I'm like, I want a bass like that because it just spoke to me. But um, yeah, anyways, I didn't buy it. Stuff like that. They have such a unique sound. You can always tell 
if it's a Rickenbacker, especially the 12 string guitars. Uh, or like oh, yeah. listen to any Rush recording from the 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getty Lee, I mean, or uh, yes, Chris Squire, that Rico sound where mm-hmm. you could split the low and the high and like guys like Chris Squire, like the high went to like a Fender guitar amp and then the low went to a bass amp. So they just got this serious amount of beef and crunch mixed together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. For sure. You know, and I'm going to go back to the room situation. Actually, what I really, really, really want is a well-tuned, nice room. Yeah. That's really it. So I can hear everything accurately, you know? Well, one thing that I learned in the last couple of days is in regards to my Atmos setup, because that obviously plays into my gear purchases for the year, is that if you live in the Bay Area, because Dolby is is located here, they will come out and shoot mm-hmm. your room for free. Cool. At least that's what McKay Garner told me. <laughs> so trust McKay. I'm going to trust McKay. You know, trust he's McKay. a trustworthy guy. I'm making stickers. Well, I'm I'm actually besides all these speakers and this controller, I'm angling to buy the new MacBook Pro for my system because I've been running off the MacBook Pros now for several years for a couple reasons. The power in them for me is sufficient. And it's portable. So if I go on a trip, I just take the whole thing with me. And the new MacBook Pros, I'm hoping, will satisfy all my needs for what I need to do. I'm sure they will. There's plenty of power there to be had. So aside from the Atmos stuff, the MacBook Pro will probably be my big purchase. Other than that, I can't really think of much else that I should buy or need to buy. You need to buy me a Rickenbacker bass, actually. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell my wife that, Ben. What's this? Oh, I had to buy Ben this bass because he wanted Well, I it. wanted to. It was his birthday and he's, yeah. he's pretty came on the podcast. And- I, I want to <laughs> buy the time of the best musicians yes. that I can possibly find. I think that's a really important part oh, of a great so, recording. That is course. so worth it. That's yeah. more important than the room, actually. Yeah, for sure. There's so many incredible lo-fi recordings. I love lo-fi recordings where the musicianship is so high that it really doesn't matter how it sounds or the quality of the sounds. I mean, it always matters and I'm always critiquing it. But if you have that magic, then that is what comes through no matter what mic or what pre or what room you're in. Yeah. Yeah, I always tell people that it's like, it's the musician, it's their instrument. And then even if you put like a Radio Shack mic in front of them, but their performance is awesome. Like, yeah, you're so winning. Cause I get people like balk at a 57, like, oh, I did that scratch vocal on a 58. I was like, yeah, but you nailed it. Go back and listen to Stevie Nicks Dreams. It's a 421 in the room with the drums and they tried to get a better take on a nice mic and it wasn't happening. And that's what they used because the vibe was there. And I think that gets so lost. And it's so easy to get lost in that space of thinking that it'll only be good if you're using an 87 and a Neve preamp. And it will be, but it's really the the musicianship. It's really the vibe. Yeah. And I think if I was going to spend 2,500 bucks, I'd go with the Neve preamp over the 87 at this point. Yeah. I used to like see an 87, I'd be like, FOMO, my God. And dude, hands down, if I find a deal on one or whatever, I'll buy it. But I'm not like, I gotta have one of those. 
I've had like two people in my life of recordings be like, do you have the 87? And it's just because they saw it on a video or something. And I'm like, that's so not important. Well, it's interesting because if you have great songs and great musicians, then your recording choices start to become more flavor choices Mm -hmm. and start to shape. It's like a photograph. It's just like, you know, a certain amount of grain or a certain amount of sharpness or, you know, whatever you want to pick of the parameters of around, around a photograph as an analogy. But I'm so with you. I think that every time I talk to a musician, in fact, the one that I just was talking to about renting, renting a house and, and doing a remote thing, I start to examine the musicians that people are using and my history with them or knowing their abilities. And I, that's when I start to say, well, have you considered this, this drummer, this guitar player for that thing, for that particular sound? Because you know, this person does that really well. And I do have some clients where they don't think about the bigger picture of the record. They're thinking about the bigger picture of their relationships outside of the record. Well, you know, this guy's really nice. And we've been talking about doing a a recording for years and I should bring him in because this favor he did for me. And that's when I get a little, I don't know, perturbed, honestly, from a production standpoint. I'm kind of like... Yeah, but is that in that the best interest of this permanent thing you're trying to create? Yeah, I mean, a favor or feel good thing, like, hey, I got to bring my kid on the record because I really promised them versus like this person is the right sound. But I mean, if it comes down to two people who are equally qualified and have a good sound and, and style, then it's about the hang. Like you take two drummers, similar styles. I mean, Take Jim Keltner and Steve Gadd. They can both play on this album, but one of them's abrasive and the other one's so chill. Like you could throw anything at him. He's going to be cool. Who are you going to pick? Well, yeah. And in this particular case, I find that it's a choice between choosing Steve Gadd and somebody who played drums in college. Right. But if the guy in college, if it's like a just laid back album and you don't need polished drumming and then the hang is right, maybe that guy's the right choice, right? Yeah. If it influences the recording or the performance in a positive way, whereas another choice wouldn't, then I would always go for whatever gets the best performance for sure. I mean, I've worked with someone in the past that, you know, we almost couldn't stand each other. And it was really hard to work with that person, (laughs) not naming names, but the music was so, so good that it didn't matter whether we got along or not. Well, sometimes that tension will play out correctly in a performance, right? And it did. Like we got some raw stuff. Right. But as soon as you stopped rolling, it was probably just like, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, sometimes you got to play with uranium to get something that's totally explosive, right? Love that. Is it important for us to always get along with the people we're working with? Does there always have to be harmony? It can't. I don't think it's possible. I mean, people are so different and People get their buttons pushed. And it's great when that happens, but I don't think we can expect that ever. Yeah. So you're going to find yourself in the position of either producer or engineer or a combination of both. And if you're the engineer, if you have that luxury, you can just put your nose down and just focus on the sound and let the producer deal with the personalities, right? But most likely you're doing producer or both. And as producer, your value is mitigating all that, getting the best out of everyone and keeping the peace and diffusing it all. 
which actually, if you find yourself in a camp counselor or parenting or any, or a managerial situation, those skills can actually lend themselves really well to producing music because I'll take family life. It's not always sugar-coated. You've got your adult relationships and your kids' relationships, and then they turn into teenagers. And sometimes the meat grinder is just going, and then you're you're just kind of like sitting there and you're like, this isn't always perfect, but these people are awesome and we can have really good stuff come of this, but we got to get through the part about like, dude, you just killed the hummus and the drummer loves hummus and he's hangry and wants to do the take. So we need to figure this out, right? I mean, that's a really weird analogy, but that's the kind of stuff that sets human beings off. Hummus. Yeah. <laughs> People's buttons get pushed, you know, about the craziest things. And musicians sometimes have a hard time receiving feedback and giving it. That is so I think the it's really important thing. to be able to receive feedback and be humble. Self-awareness goes such a long way on both sides. And I remember seeing um, or listening to an interview with Quincy Jones about production and engineering. And he said, as an engineer producer, either or both, you're a mother, you're a father, you're a guru, you're a therapist, you're a spiritual leader, you're everything. And I think that's so true. You have to know how to manage many different people and energies. And sometimes you have to put a wall up around that and be able to do your job. Let me uh, change subjects on you one more time. What are you excited about in the coming year? We'll start with Ben. I don't know. Just like the possibilities. What new projects am I going to land in? What projects am I going to finish? How are they going to manifest? And almost like the unknown. I feel like every year gets a little bit better. I've gotten involved with some cool organizations and in different outlets. So yeah, just positive. And just coming through the last two years, hoping that we finally get our feet back on the ground. We're able to stop sticking our head in the dirt and kind of like get back in the groove with just doing this, putting stuff out, going to shows, working at shows all of it, having mm -hmm. fun with it. Heidi, what about you? For sure. I'm just so excited about the year ahead and beyond. I think that we've proven ourselves to be super resilient musicians and engineers and producers. And I think we will continue to do so. And I think the technology will continue to evolve and adapt to the times that we find ourselves in. And, you know, we, don't, we really don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like Ben said a while back, there could be some super crazy mega variant. And so we'll have to go back to, oh, I hope not, the ways that we had to learn to evolve and be resilient. I'm excited about my own projects. I'm excited about new music of my own and recording and producing others for sure. So I'm really super excited about what's ahead. Excellent. Well, personally, I'm excited about the whole Atmos thing. That's a big focus of mine for the year. And I think, as, as both of you have said, just essentially just getting back into the whole thing. Things opening up a lot more, and uh, it's interesting what the possibilities are with the different ways of recording, with the things we've learned from hunkering down during COVID and how those things can be used to our advantage when things are more open. Personally, I, I love mixing remotely because it just allows me to meet with multiple people at one time and time zones and, and time frames don't become an issue. So 
that's one thing that I loved that came from COVID is doing that so much. Because I, I don't necessarily need somebody in the room, but I need their input and getting it in real time if they're, sure. you know, in New York. Right. And before, I think it was untapped technology that actually did exist, but I don't think we could have imagined, and we didn't need to, doing it this way, you know, remotely or trading tracks in a duo or band via Dropbox. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Actually. I mean, that's the cool thing too. And I think I've seen expand, like I've had clients I've worked with before who moved away or whatever, but all of a sudden it just opened up people to the idea of like, oh, I want to work with Ben again. It doesn't matter that I'm in New Jersey. And even like, hey man, get out your iPhone and play and then throw it up into band lab and then I'll get it. And just all these tools out there and people like saying, oh, it's okay to work this way. And even stuff that wasn't the best quality, but like, just get it going. And then all of a sudden, like companies like Zoom and Source Connect and all these other ones, they kind of upped their game because they had to. And it, and it almost got to be the point where it's like, yeah, we can get at least like 44.1, 24-bit audio going in this virtual back and forth space. So you can work with anyone anywhere in the planet in real time, seemingly, or stream them a mix and tweak it in real time, that's a pretty cool thing. And I think it's opened up a lot of possibilities and stuff like that. And, and for me, actually, some of the work I do, it's created this whole like cleanup audio thing <laughs> that like they sending, <laughs> you know, one of these companies I work for, they're sending out audio kits and they're doing all these like high profile branded content things. But, you know, inevitably someone gets on Zoom or they get a wireless thing and something goes wrong. And I mean, almost every week I'm getting something and it's like, can you fix this? And it's like, and that's someone talking and you're like, all right. <laughs> and I'm throwing it in there and deconstructing and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you can hear the person talking. But because of this lowest common denominator, we got to create content and we got to trust people who have no idea idea what recording audio is about and they're going to do it in their house and it's still happening. It, it creates obviously business opportunities for people like us who are basically, I hate to use the word, you're kind of, I want to start a company called Unfuck Audio where it's just like, <laughs> send me the garbage. <laughs> if I can't make it sound good, you don't got to pay me. But if I can fix this, I'm charging you New York rates. <laughs> ben, you sound like an audio janitor. <laughs> Someone call me a jackknife. I am kind of like the guy with the mop and the dirty water. And it's like, you know, the kid got sick over there. <laughs> with the jumpsuit. In the sawdust. And like in the Dude, basement. Yeah. Audio janitors. Let's start a guild, audio janitors. I'm going to go by the URL. You guys, you're part of my guild. And yeah, man. Awesome. I'm in. Awesome. <laughs> Clean it up. <laughs> Clean it up. Now I know who to go to. Exactly. Janitors. I think what I'm most excited about is the return of live music. Mm. That just put me on a whole new trajectory, performing and mixing. It was gone for a long time. Because you both work for SF Jazz. Yeah, we do. Front of house and monitors. And Heidi works at the Freight and Salvage. Freight and Salvage. Yeah. Which unfortunately is canceled most, if not all, January. That stinks. Oh, no. Yeah, and oh, into oh. actually there are artists who've canceled March shows too. Huh. So you're saying the artists are canceling or is this a venue-driven decision? Mostly the artists, but yeah. also I think the venue. Right. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get back. 
Well, it's great to see both of you. I appreciate you uh, joining me early this morning for a discussion of the coming year and uh, what you're excited about and your thoughts about everything. I will put links in the show notes to both of you, everything that was in your show notes from your dedicated episodes, et cetera. But it's great to see both of you. And uh, I hope 2022 is great for all of us. I do too. And I think it will be. And it's great to see you, Matt. And it's great to see you, Ben. Absolutely. Thanks to both of you. Good hang. Thank you, guys. You guys take care. You too. Thanks, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Heidi Trefethen and Ben Bernstein here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Remember, if you have a guest suggestion, you can fill out the guest suggestion form, which is located at workingclassaudio.com. Feel free to stop in, fill out the form. We'll have a look and do a little research on your suggestion and hopefully bring them on the show. And I would greatly appreciate it. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith there at the top of the show with his lovely voice. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me an email at matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio... This is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.